Hello, my name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and social media. Welcome to episode 29 of Geektitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by T. Morris and Pip Valentine, authors of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences series and hosts of the Shared Desk podcast. Hi, guys. Hey, hey. how are you? Pretty good. How are you doing today? It's a rainy Sunday on the East Coast, but we are uh, we're managing. We're, we're after after a lot of traveling. We're, we're finally getting back to getting the house. Uh, yeah, into, we've been on the road for like. Yeah, we don't like living bohemian half the month. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that quite a bit. My my house has been under uh, construction for the last um, well since January. Oh. So and we've got another good two months to go. So uh, I, I understand being uh, not in the best of living situation. <laughs> last uh, last summer we we did some DIY projects while our daughter was um uh was, was it was it at sleepaway camp. And that was the weirdest three months because yeah, we everything had all was these, all over the place. Yeah, everything was all over the place. Things were in transition, and we had to get it done before she got back. And when she did get back, it was it, the dust had finally settled, and I'm like, that was surreal. So I can't imagine what it's like for for months being like that. Because man, for for only for only a few weeks, I was just, I was on the edge. I was really on edge. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's been an experience, but uh, but hopefully the the outcome will be worth the wait. It will wait. be. Don't worry, it will be. It will be. <laughs> well, very cool. We want to learn a little bit about you guys. Uh, why don't you guys tell us about yourself and uh, what you do? Because there's quite a bit of it. Ladies first, go for it. Baby. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to catch up on all the bits that I miss out on. Tea. I will. Um, I will. Well, I'm not originally from America. You may be able to tell. I'm uh, born and bred in New Zealand. Uh, been living in America with this uh, rapscallion next to me uh, for about six years. Um, I started off uh, writing in 1997, I think, seriously. <laughs> Who was prime minister at the time? I can't right? remember. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> and then uh, um, then I sort of got lured into podcasting by T. Morris uh, in 2006. Yep. And uh, I write science fiction and fantasy by myself. I do the books of the Order, uh, Geist and, oh, dragons and, and women with fiery hands. And uh, then 2010? It was 2009 when you actually pitched the idea. That's to right. And then we, we... Well, I pitched the idea to you, and then you pitched an idea back to me, which eventually became the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences in 2010. Yes. So uh, since then, we have been hanging on and writing the ups and downs and weirdnesses of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. And, um, and of course, I married you along the way. Yeah. Somewhere along the way, you, 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 you <laughs> wagon permanently to me, when actually I was hitching my wagon permanently to her. Oh, well, um, it worked out okay. It worked out okay. So I'm T. Morris. I started podcasting. I, I've been professionally writing since 2002. I started this thing uh, called uh, Podcasting Novels or Podio Books, Back in 2005, and it was a, it was it, this was th th just to get your listeners um, into into my mind mindset. Uh, this was back in the day when podcasting wasn't even recognized by Apple. And oh wow! It was it was the wild. It really was the wild west of audio. And I, in January, I started podcasting this novel of mine, this epic fantasy novel. And about a month later, getting Mark Jeffrey stepped up and he said uh, he said, "Hey, I've got a novel. It's not." It's not like tease. It's actually young adult, and it has a continuous soundtrack all the way through it. Then a third guy stepped up, and uh, his name is Scott Sigler. And the three of us were literally the 
the founding fathers of, of the podcast novel. Uh, within months of each other, we all started doing it. We did it through a show back then called The Dragon Page, and and it's just been a it's been a ride ever since. Um, so I uh, I started writing the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences with with Pip. We developed the idea in 2009, 2010, and it started as a podcast for pay that was something new that people were trying to tinker with you know actually making money while podcasting i know <laughs> uh, but oh, we were young and stupid back yeah. then right? yeah. so anyway um so pip was like well why don't we do uh the well you know what are you writing what are you working on right now and i was working on a novel that hinted back to the ministry of peculiar occurrences so pip and i decided we were going to do this podcast for pay that was going to be the prequel to a novel i never wrote because <laughs> <laughs> As we were developing the podcast, uh, Pip's agent contacted contacted her and said, this steampunk idea, um, how far are you into it? We lied and said most of it was done. And then we cranked out the first book, which eventually became um, Phoenix Rising, Phoenix Rising, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel. So we've been we've been um, we've been podcasting and writing steampunk regularly since 2011. And we've written – we're coming up on uh, this season of Tales from the Archives, uh, which is found at ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com. Um, that is – that we're actually going to hit 50, 50 short stories that we've produced. And it's not, not just us. It's other authors that are writing in the universe. But as far as the novels go, we've been uh, – we've been – when published uh, uh, by Harper Voyager, then Ace Books, and the last two books we have uh, kickstarted. So – um, it's, it's been, it's been a heck of a ride and we absolutely love the series and in next month, next month, yeah, yeah next month, uh, the, the fifth book comes the out, the fifth book comes out, the ghost rebellion. That's very cool. You guys have so much going on. <laughs> we realize that too. And it, it's getting a little crazy. I mean, as soon as, as soon as we're done with this podcast, I have to, uh, shut myself down into the, into the studio and do some audio and do some, do some work on the audiobook. So yeah, yeah, we've, we've got a lot on the plate, but we're hanging in there. Well, thank you very much for taking the time out to talk to us. We appreciate it. Um, what are your areas of geekitude? Where are you most geeky? What what things do you most enjoy I, in the I, geek culture? We seem to be movie and TV geeks. Yeah, yeah, we're hard. Well, Pip has a nickname for me. It's IMDT. Yeah. Because she will see someone on the screen. She'll go, who is that? And I'll go, oh, that's so-and-so. They were in this movie, this movie, this movie. They got their start in this show. And, and I'm rattling off this. I mean, just, all right, I'll give you an example of IMDT. So we're watching, of all things, Midsummer Murders. <laughs> okay. And we see this young, this, this young British upstart, right? He's, 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 he's kicking up trouble in Midsummer. Probably murdering somebody. Or getting murdered himself, as you do in Midsummer. (laughs) And he turns, and I see the profile said, Honey, I think that's Henry Cavill. (laughs) And sure enough, we go straight to IMDb, and yeah, they confirmed it. It was, in fact, a very young, skinny, I want to stress that, skinny as a rail, Henry Cavill. You did not mistake that jawline. <laughs> and um, so I would say I would say that's where we excel. Yeah. Well, you do. You are a little bit of a, a gamer as well. Um, video games. I am the worst jumper in any video game. <laughs> I, just, I just if I see there's a canyon, I'm like, I'm going in it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Mind you, the time that you were playing James Bond and you kept trying to, te- you actually kept texting. Oh, he was oh. trying to change over to gun, but he kept ending up with the phone. And I'm like, this is not the time to tweet. All right, yeah, my, my, yeah. yeah. Oh 
no, finish your tweet. No, no, just, just give me <laughs> a second. Bond. I'm James Bond. Just give me a second. Um, yeah. So, so in the uh, in in the the Xbox 360 game 007 Legends, you have the ability to switch from either a gun to a uh, to a secondary weapon to your phone, and because I was one of the original gamers where I had a joystick and that and maybe two firing buttons to make the transition from that to four buttons, four buttons you see, plus the two bumpers, plus the two triggers, plus two two sticks. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff to do. I felt like the old man going, I want to watch Matlock! And, you know, because I, I kept accessing my phone, and Pip's like, what are you doing? I said, can't you tell? I'm taking pictures. I have to Instagram this crap. And, wow, what an education. But, but you have got better because you're playing Destiny now. Yeah, I'm playing Destiny now, and I love and I love that it, video games for me has been has been the um it's the it's my mistress it's my, it's my mistress because I have to make sure podcasts are getting done I got to make sure the books are getting done and yet in the background there's my brand new PS4 with Tomb Raider the uh, the uh, the expanded uh you know um, ultimate experience uh-huh. just waiting in its shrink wrap going anytime to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one has to be kind of at the the reward back end. Yeah, it's but. the reward. So, but but we always make time for TV and film. Um, well, mostly because we can do that on the elliptical. And we can watch yeah, that. yeah, so, yeah. So we have a we lot. Gotta, we've got to be multitaskers. It's yeah. got to be two things going on at once. If you're not a multitasker, if you're not a right, if you're not a multitasker, you really shouldn't be a writer because <laughs> that's like eighty percent of what we do is is multitask. That's awesome, and I completely understand your your feeling about the uh, the new modern controllers, which are at this point aren't really new or modern. No, they're not. But, um, we're, we're, the no. Ancient, we're the ancient models right now. We really, we really are. We really because I don't think I've played a console game regularly since like I don't know the early, early, early two thousands. And, and I got, I got no. even further back. We were we went to a, oh, a we went to an event called Magfest. And it's it's a it's a wonderful uh, event. Music, art, art and, and gaming. gaming. Uh, and uh, they had a computer museum there. They had in the computer museum a working ColecoVision, which was oh, wow. my first gaming console. And when I saw it, and the guy's like, "Yeah, this thing's you know this thing's history." I'm looking at the guy going, "I'm going to punch you." In the- <laughs> Walking around had that, played yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Got university had one of those. And, and we had these young kids <laughs> looking at us, going, "What was it like?" And I just said, "Son, you have no idea how good you got it." You know. Remember when? You got- yeah, seriously. I remember my my grandfather had a um, he was an, uh, a TV repairman, and so he would always get the, uh, the technology as soon as it came out, so he could take it apart and put it back together and knew what, know what he was doing. And so I remember this really old Atari system with like rubber bands to make sure that the switches yep. still turned on because they'd lost their <laughs> they'd lost their switchiness. People have no idea how when when they, when they watch Fl- the Flintstones cartoons and they go, oh that's kind of cute how they did that. It's like no, you don't understand. Modern technology kind of works the same way. <laughs> yeah, pretty the much. 70s and 80s, it was like rubber bands and duct tape, and if you didn't have that, you were screwed. <laughs> <laughs> seriously seriously well very cool now are there any areas where you feel your geekitude is low you don't quite uh yeah, get comics, into it both comics uh low on the comic uh... and, and it sucks because i love comics i mean i'm, I'm looking across i uh, i i had a, a brief like surge in comics and i'm looking at some of the stuff i got like i got the manga for ghost in the shell uh i've got uh david max kabuki which i absolutely love 
V for Vendetta, I still think it is the best thing that Alan Moore has ever done. Yeah, I'll put V for Vendetta over Watchmen. Um, one of my favorites, though, in my comic book collection was someone did a graphic novel, a graphic novelization of the silent movie M. I was directed okay. this long. And if, you, if you've ever seen the, 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 the film M, you got to pick up this this graphic novelization because it is breathtaking. Well, you did a, you did have another uh, area when you did some comic stuff. You did you wrote for yeah I did. Uh, so I was tapped to uh, to help out Kindle Worlds. Uh, I I was uh, I was asked to write um, some novellas set in the universe for Harbinger and the universe for Bloodshot. And these are the re- these were the, the the recent reboots in in, in Valiant Comics. So to prepare for that, um, you read a lot of them. <laughs> I, I I downloaded on comic comicsology. I downloaded a crap ton of Harbinger and a crap ton of Bloodshot. And at the end, I'm like, one, I found out how much I missed comics. So the last comic book I read was IDW's Wild Blue Yonder, which was a steampunk diesel punk uh, f- fantasy, and it was it was it just made me remember how much I loved comics. But it's so hard. It's so hard for me just to read regular fiction, <laughs> yeah. let alone make time for comics. And and it, it whenever people start talking about these new things that are coming out in the comic books, uh, comic book stores, I, I get a pang of jealousy. Uh, mm-hmm. The only so much time. There's only so much day. time, which brings me to another thing where I feel like uh, my geekitude is kind of kind of low. Even though we kind of we, we kind of rallied last night at, at International Tabletop Day, I miss RPG. Mm-hmm. I miss yeah. RPGing on a regular basis, and yeah. and and that it breaks my heart because we had a we had an RPG based on the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences series, put up by Galileo Games, and they just released. I'll let I'll let Pip talk well, about what they, they just released. They just released um, Nefarious Adversaries, which so it's a Fate Core system, um, and there's two supplements out so far. There's Tools of the Trade, so you can build steampunk you know gadgets and gizmos and weapons, and then uh, Nefarious. Uh, adversaries is actually based on something our daughter came up with <laughs> because this was kickstarted with Galileo Games about two years two, ago, two or three years, two ago, or three yeah. years ago. And she said, "Well, what happens if you want to play villains? You know, what if you want to play the bad guys?" And so um, this supplement just came out, and it's got you know, if you want to play uh, any of nefarious people from secret societies to Italian assassins, and yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Was, we, we, and, and, the, and the idea happened because a nine-year-old asked us, could we play bad, bad people? <laughs> and, That's awesome. Yeah, I know. I know. And, uh, and we feel very fortunate. The thing is, though, uh, we, and we got beautiful Fate Core. Uh, part of the Kickstarter was we got beautiful Fate Core dice uh, steampunked up. Who was that? That was, that was um, Q, uh, Q Workshop. Q, in Poland. Q, Q Workshop in Poland, yeah. They, they made us this gorgeous steampunk Fate Core dice. And... Um, and we we we've played it, and we've played it like a couple of times, and it's mm-hmm. been a lot of fun. But we have never done a deep dive into this because we just don't have the time, and it's heartbreaking. No. It is heartbreaking, especially when you see cute little. You know, I mean, they did some wonderful oh, did illustrations some great, yeah. oh, for the inside. Great stuff. Great stuff. <sighs> sometimes being an adult sucks. <laughs> I, I hate adulting sometimes. Yeah. Um. Okay, I've got to go back and. and Pick up some of the stuff that that uh, you were talking about. First of all, I have seen M. Um, huh? I actually used to teach um, uh, film studies uh, at my uh, high school. Talk to me. And, uh, talk to me. Yes. <laughs> and so um, I'm not the current film studies because I'm actually a, the drama teacher now. But uh, one of my colleagues is, and I think he's a big fan of that movie. So I'm going to have to pick up. 
um, this graphic novel. Is it called M? Yes, I'm looking at it right now. Could you could you go could you go get yeah. it so I can see where it's right next to the Witchblade Compendium. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and while, while while Pip does that, yeah, you're 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 barking up my tree because uh, in a previous life, before actually what segued me into being a uh, a professional writer, I was a professional actor for quite a few years. So I've got the theater chops, which is one of the reasons why I still get my theater fix when I podcast actors novels. And, actors and writers, they're both used to rejection. Seriously. So, um, <laughs> okay, so I can tell you this much. It was put out by um, Abrams Press. It's, uh, okay. it's done by John, J-O-N, John J. Muth, M-U-T-H. And it's, basically, it just, it's called M, a graphic novel based on the film by Fritz Long. And the the artwork in it is absolutely stunning. It's it's very reminiscent of um, of uh, Arkham is it Arkham Asylum the the one mm-hmm. the one that was done almost like uh, like a like the the stuff you would see in something that Hunter S. Thompson would write. I mean, it was just very dark, very uh, it's it's it almost looks it's the kind of it's the kind of um, artwork that almost makes it look like it's a photograph, but it's not. And, oh, that's really cool. And it's just just astounding. So yeah. Um, and it's it's just called M. So if you're a fan of Fritz Long or a fan of Fritz Long's M, um, this is this is a must-have graphic novel. All right. So now my my challenge is to get it and uh, and give it to him before he listens to the podcast. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Your, your mission should you choose to accept it. <laughs> yes. And then I mean I completely understand with the the reading and the the RPGs. Uh, again, I'm an English teacher. Uh, English and drama, and so when I read, it's over the summer when I'm no longer reading term papers and essays and everything else. So yes, trying to find time to get that stuff done, um, I, I am right there with you. It is it is very very disappointing to have to adult sometimes. You have a lot of stuff going on. Um, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you're working on right now? <sighs> yes, right now. Much stuff. <laughs> yeah, right now though, our life is is focused on the Ghost Rebellion. Yeah, it's um the Kickstarter backers are going to be uh, supplied with the majority of their rewards this month. So that's a lot of posting and you know producing things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but it's going to go live in June to the general public. Um, we're also working, obviously, on the sixth and final book of the ministry, she says with a question mark. <laughs> um, uh, T and I are also working on a YA spin-off of the ministry series, which is uh, based around a group of uh, naughty, slightly no, deadly... No, I, I wouldn't say naughty or deadly. I would say more like... Um... Mm. Are you, are you, no, you're I'm talking, talking about the seven. Yeah. You're talking about the Ministry Seven. They're the Rapscallions. Of, yes, they're the of, Rapscallions. A little based on uh, Sherlock Holmes's um, Baker Street Baker Street Irregulars. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a sort of a story of what their lives were like before Wellington and Eliza came into them, and uh, that's going to be called the Curse of the Silver Pharaoh. Yeah. It's got some cover art for that. Uh, but we're focused. We're focused right now on the Ghost Rebellion, which uh, it's. We, we basically take Wellington and Eliza. There are two steampunk uh, super spies, and we take them to India. And we had uh, we, we we had to do quite a bit of research, not just on India, but we also have a, a, a subplot where we take two other agents of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences and send them into operations in Russia. And it's all building up to the final to the final book. But the but the Ghost Rebellion is uh, that was that was that was book five. That was what. The Kickstarter was originally geared for, pardon the pun. But then we made twenty one thousand, so so we were able to fund the, <laughs> the second next book. book. Yeah, which which is great because we've always pictured 
the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences to be a six-book series. And when Ace Books said, we're done after four, we, we, you know, in the final edits, I just turned to Pip and I said, do we leave it on a cliffhanger and pick up the mantle or do we wrap it up? And we just really had the we we soul searched for about for 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 a while, just saying. Oh, it was about five minutes from me. I, I think it was. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> not letting these guys go we, just we, yet. We just have way too much fun writing in yeah. this universe. So mm-hmm. so we said, okay, let's see if we can do a Kickstarter for one book, and we wound up making enough to not only do two books, but to do two books plus a novella that's referenced in the Diamond Conspiracy, which was the last book we we wrote. Um, so the Ghost Rebellion, so just tell them a little bit about the Ghost Rebellion. Set in India. Set in India, they're on, well, there's no spoilers, they're on no. the trail of uh, Dr. Henry Jekyll, who's causing all sorts of problems in the empire. Um, and and while they're, too much. And, yeah, well, and while, but while they're on this mission tracking down Henry Jekyll, which, again, these are, these are, these aren't just random things we're throwing in. We're actually, we've actually been building this plot this plot arc since the very first book, and we've just been dropping seeds throughout the entire series, which that's the way we write. It's a lot of fun to do it that way. And uh, in book five, we wind up uh, finding out that there is a um, there's this mysterious ghost army, a phantom army uh, of people that are it's comprised of people who are either missing, presumed missing or presumed dead. But uh, they pop up again and it turns out that they have hands on technology that they shouldn't have their hands on. And it, it all ties back to, it all ties back to, to previous novels. It ties back to Henry Jekyll and also ties back to this shadowy organization called the house of Usher. And, um, and that's what, that's where book five uh, basically, basically takes us to. And in the subplot set in Russia, we, we get to dabble in Russian steampunk as well as Russian espionage and the house of Usher. It seems they're up to something in Russia as well. So we have a, we, so the house of Usher, have been kind of quiet throughout the uh, throughout the series. They're, they're start they're under new management, yes. and, and uh, there's a, there's we're not going to give away. Yeah, we're not going to give away who's in charge of the House of Usher. But you find out in book five, and we had a lot of fun researching this particular character. That sounds great. It sounds like a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it is a lot. Of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, do you guys have a favorite fandom? Do you have a, a favorite area that you kind of find yourself always going back to? A favorite fandom. Wow. Um, you know that that's really hard to talk about without feeling the the, the bristle about what's been going on in fandom of late. Mm-hmm. Name the Hugo Awards. You got GamerGate. You've got all these things that are happening that that breaks my heart a little bit because mm-hmm. um, when I first started doing this, when I when I first started going to conventions in 2002 to promote my first book, I remember the the uh, the, the feeling of acceptance when you went to a convention. It was it was pretty overwhelming, and it was also uh, it was also very refreshing. And it feels like in the past decade, I've seen I've seen a, a darker side of fandom rear its ugly head. Uh, but when it comes to uh, when it comes to fandoms, I, I think my my favorite fandom to come back to. Uh, wow. Oh, Penny Dreadful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Penny That's Dreadful. my current. One the penny the penny dreadful fandom I, and I think I think a lot of it and also yeah uh, some of the newer Star Wars fans that are coming yeah, out yeah that is cool mm-hmm. it's it, cool to see that it, it's it's I mean I know there have in, in some of the earlier factions that I was talking about they're they're kind of worried I guess about the evolution of science fiction and, and certain properties I don't mind it I, I think mm-hmm. everything should evolve and and I've been watching the evolution of Star Wars. 
uh, over the years. And I, I got to admit, as, as, you know, people had some issues with, with The Force Awakens. And I said, hey, it was better than the prequels. It was, yeah. there, were, there was no prequels. There was no prequel funk here. And I, I remember being relieved at the end of The Force Awakens because I felt like, yeah, I felt like a part of me had come back. Um, well, I, th- I think it, with, with both of us, we're starting to our, our daughter is coming up on 12. So it's cool to introduce her to things that we love. Uh, so right. she she's really digging uh, Supergirl. So we I watch that together. I was just about to mention that. Yeah, she really loves Agent Carter. Really yeah, you know, and Agents of Shield. And Agents of Shield. Again, and and the thing is, these all all of these properties have one thing in common: Supergirl, Agent Carter, and uh, Agents of Shield. Is they all feature prominent, strong, confident women, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, watching watching that and experiencing that with our with our daughter has been been hella fun. Granted, she was she was she did not understand why dad was geeking out so hard though during the Flash Supergirl crossover. But that's because I'm a mad fan. <laughs> there of the Flash. you go. Yeah, I'm such a nerd boy for the Flash. I mean, <laughs> if, uh, yeah, I, I just I, wow. Does that make us Marvel fan fandom? It, it, yeah. it, again, it's it's like Marvel DC comics, sort of, but not quite. <laughs> I, I mean, to me, I, I just I, I think I've just been. Um, if there's any kind of fandom that I that I gravitate to, it's the one that I, I just I just enjoy the most. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether it's whether it's mainlining a, a an entire season of Eureka, or if it's um, or if it's if it's watching Marvel's Daredevil, or again, you know, um, sitting down and watching The Flash. I mean, yeah, I think it's really cool that we're starting to see sci-fi actually play sci-fi again. Yeah. We love The Expanse. Wow. Oh, yes. God, The Expanse. I was like, wow. I was like, is this really sci-fi putting it, this on? <laughs> I, I, the last time I felt that, I remember turning to Pip and I said, oh, you know, there's another fandom I've really enjoyed. But uh, I remember turning to Pip at near the, at the end of Expanse and I said, honey. The last time I remember loving something that much, it was Farscape, mm-hmm. and I oh, wow. loved me some Farscape. I, I mean, I got all I, I, I traded in all the DVDs for Blu-ray. I, um, you know, I, I just I love me some Farscape, and so, so yeah, watching sci-fi come back to that is 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 very very nice. That's awesome. That's very cool. Um, so. What's something that you guys love that you don't feel has a lot of exposure right now and you just can't wait to introduce people to it? You're not going to believe this. I've been thinking about this question quite Mm -hmm. a bit. Steampunk. And I'll tell you why. Because steampunk hasn't had that breakthrough hit. No, it hasn't. And and when you say breakthrough hit now, if you go to books – you know, we we consider ourselves the the slow burn. There are people that are still just discovering Phoenix Rising after five six years, and they go, "Wow, this book is great." Um, but like when you think of big big successes from the writing perspective, you know, you got people like K.W. Jeter, you've got William Gibson and uh, and Bruce Sterling, you've got Gail Carriger. But really, if you need that breakthrough hit, you've got to hit something in the in, in the in the in the the, the visual media, and um, the closest we've come to that, the closest we've come to any really true steampunk movie was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which has a real mm-hmm. strong divide of what people liked and what mm-hmm. people hated. I don't think it's perfect. Um, I enjoyed the movie more than I did the comic book. I think, yeah, I got I got opinions about Alan Moore, but uh, besides, <laughs> besides that. Um, yeah, there hasn't really. Although um, there's a 
going to be a pilot episode of a steampunk show. Yeah. Uh, coming up in the fall, I think. Yeah, ABC's putting it together. Yeah. So. And and so you, you and and that's the thing. If you have a breakthrough movie or breakthrough, and and they, we've had some close ones. I mean, Hugo, you could you could kind of say it was steampunk, and it was a beautiful film. Nobody went to go see it. Right. And it was heartbreaking. There have been steampunk. There have been shades of steampunk and Penny Dreadful. But people go, oh, it's not. It's not steampunk. It's goth. And it's like, mm. yeah, it's goth. But Frankenstein. You've got <laughs> Dr. And then you've got Van Helsing, the movie Van Helsing, which is goofy fun. But people, how many years ago was that? I know. Now, and, it, and people took it too seriously <laughs> when it came out. They really took it too seriously. And and yet when when people say, well, what's you know what is steampunk? Um, the minute you say, well, did you ever see Walt Disney's adaptation of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? And they go, oh, yeah, that's steampunk. Did you ever see the TV show? And I always emphasize this. The TV show, The Wild Wild West. Oh, yeah, that's steampunk. Um, but then when you think about what the, the, the travesty that was the Wild Wild West movie. Don't even mention that. I mean, <laughs> just, and, and that, you know, to me, that that right there is just is it, it, it's when it's when people don't get it, they go, oh, this is trendy and they don't dig deep enough to really mm-hmm. understand um, to, to really get what steampunk is. And I think the I think the best representation of steampunk we've had in the, in the past few years was when um, was when on Castle. And this was a few years ago <laughs> yeah. in Castle. Um, they actually had a murder take place in the steampunk community. So. You know, Castle and Beckett had to solve this murder. And at the, you know, at the very end, you know, you see Fillion decked out in all that steampunk, beautiful steampunk gear, and he looked great. And um, and it would be great if we had that breakthrough in it steampunk. It needs to find some sort of breakthrough in the visual it does. medium. It does. So if anyone's listening, they want to take, they want to <laughs> do spycraft, you know, and steampunk. Steampunk spies. It'll happen. We, we we got the material right here. We'd love to talk to you. <laughs> Well, very cool. We don't want to spend all of our, our steampunk momentum here, though, because that's our feature yes, for today. Right. We're going to dive into it deeper. So I'm going to move us on to uh, thank you for sharing um, a little bit about yourselves with us. Uh, it's good to know who we're talking to. Um, we're going to move on to how we kept it geek this week. Um, I may or may not have allegedly uh, taken a mental health day this week and uh Played a lot of Blizzard games, nice. a lot, a lot Very of nice. Blizzard games. Um, I, I'm, I think every week I release a podcast. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm over Warcraft, and then the following week I'm back in Warcraft, <laughs> and then the next week I'm back out. But I'm back in Warcraft. Um, I rolled on a PvP server, running around with a Death Knight, and and really enjoying it. Um, the uh, Hearthstone expansion came out this week, uh, Whispers of the Old Gods, so I've been playing a lot of that. Um, it was really cool because I, I don't know if you guys are familiar at all with Hearthstone. We've seen a lot of we've seen a lot of press about Hearthstone, and um, and I can only assume they're they're cranking out this new this new expansion in in preparation for the film. Which I wanted to ask you, being a being a player of Warcraft, does that look like a CG crap fest to you, or do you really think they've they've gotten it? Well, it, it is a virtual world, <laughs> and that's how we've experienced it. So I really don't have a problem with, you know, the 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 kind of green screen apalooza that it's going to be. I I'm looking for the story because that's always what's connected me to the 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 game. And so for me, it's going to be one of those situations where if they get the story right, and 
I, I think then they will pull in a, a new audience, whether or not it looks green screeny or not, because they've always been about the story. And so if they don't do it, if it's just a crappy movie, they're they're giving up the potential of so much money. <laughs> I'm just saying it right now, because if it's great and it hits, then they've got material to take us into the far, 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 far future. But if it doesn't land, you know, built-in audience, billions of people have played this game. So yes, I did play Warcraft for. A- oh, what did you play? I have to ask. Um. Oh my goodness. I was. I always play a warrior. I just always do. Um. But I had to. I discovered I was getting so immersed in it that I wasn't writing, and then I just I couldn't do both, and I had to go cold turkey and quit. Yeah, you have to you have to be careful because it does suck you in. It is a time sink. Yeah, uh, I find it's a very easy thing to do while I'm while I'm editing or while I'm I'm doing other like mo- monotonous tasks that that take attention but not a lot of attention. Uh-huh. So that's when I get it in recently. But uh, the fun thing and with with Hearthstone releasing, um, there's a, a huge population of kids at my school that are into it. And so it became this, all right, at lunch, we're going to all open our new packs and we're going to, you know, share what, what we got and get all excited for each other. And, hey, look, he's playing this, this deck. Let's watch him and see how it works. And so it's, it's always kind of fun to be able to, to share that with my students because, you know, when I was growing up, it was not, it was not cool to be a geek. Yeah, No, it wasn't. Uh, and now I have kids that'll come over and say, "Hey, Mr. Hogan, you know, a break? Can you uh, maybe look at one of my decks and <laughs> see if I can fix it or anything?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I think I can do that for you." <laughs> so, uh, so that was what we did this week. I also played a little bit of Heroes, uh, Heroes of the Storm, which is another Blizzard uh, game. I don't know if either of you played Diablo two ever, but um, the they put a character in there. Uh, Heroes of the Storm is is Wizards. Uh, or Blizzard's MOBA, so they take all their different properties and they put the characters in it and you just fight them against each other. And so they took the Necromancer from Diablo 2 and put him in there, and I have been having the best time just going in and wrecking with this character. It's so much fun. So that is what I have been doing on the geeky side this week. And then uh, on the personal side, my fourth year wedding anniversary was this Thursday, yeah, so we celebrated that. Nice. Well, thank you. <clears throat> How about you guys? You guys have quite a few things here, and they look amazing. <laughs> I'm jealous. What did you guys do this well, week? Well, yesterday we went to uh, Bad Wolf Brewing. Bad Wolf Brewing Company. Uh, which has uh, – them. it's run by geeks. It's a great brewery run by geeks. Yes. Uh, uh, they've got a TARDIS door painted on their other place. But this place That's is nice. called the Big Bad Wolf. Um, and we were part of International Tabletop Day. They had um, lots of people there. They had to put, bring in it extra was, chairs. Yeah, it was packed. It was packed. Um, there were prizes. Uh, people who won got some um, brewery vouchers and some exclusive stuff that you couldn't get anywhere else. So we played uh, two games of Red Dragon Inn. Have you ever played that, Joe? No. Oh, Red Dragon Inn from oh. Slugfest Games. Yeah. The concept of, of Red Dragon Inn is... That you all play a character. Yeah, go for it. That has been um, out on a, on a quest 
And this is what happens after the characters get back from the quest and they go to the pub. Uh, and what they do is they drink and punch each other and gamble. Um, and if you you have two counters, one for um, fortitude and one for alcohol, and if they both meet, you pass out. Uh, and your <laughs> friends um, go through your pocket and then chuck you outside. So the aim of the game is to be the last one standing. And uh, there are really cool characters. My favorite is Gog, the half-ogre, who, for some reason, I just love playing. <laughs> I've played and played him, and I've never won, because for some reason, he, everyone seems to go after Gog. It's because he's an ogre, man. It's really racist. Why do you, <laughs> why you laugh at Gog? Yeah, he says things like, why you laugh at Gog? Or uh, when try, someone tries to buy him a drink, this tastes icky, Gog, not drink. <laughs> and um, so this... Last night, I actually won both games, which has never happened. I've never even won one, let alone two. Uh, so that was that was pretty that was pretty brutal at the end. We had like seven people Man, playing. It was, it was it was full on. It was I played full on. I played Gog the first one, and then I played uh, Fiona the Volatile, who is one of my. I always play the warrior, and she's like a a, a female warrior who is um, likely to stab you in the back or punch you in the head or something. You know, <laughs> just like me, really. <laughs> So it was a really cool thing, and we, um, you won some, did you win anything? No, I didn't no. win anything. They, they gave a prize to the winner, and then um, they did a random drawing of the losers, and they got uh, to pick from this prize yeah. table, which had, like, pop figures and things on it. Actually, no, it did win, cool. because, they, uh, because Bad Wolf Brewing actually made a special brew oh, that true. they tapped. It was, the, they called the brew um, Plus Two Charisma, Negative One Intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> it was 11% proof, so holy! It had a punch, and it tasted very much like a lambic. So um, I really enjoyed that. That was that was my big. I think win. they should do. I mean, they seem to always get a lot of people yeah. coming for this event. I mean, they've had one other um, gaming session night, which was always pretty popular. So yeah. yeah, it was a lot of fun, and our daughter played with us, even though she got. I think it's a good learning lesson for tweens and teens. You know, if mm. you get drunk and pass out, your friends will go through your pocket. <laughs> so, you know, moderation. Um, oh, and then the, later, this earlier this week, before that, we released uh, two new fiction uh, projects. Uh, one was uh, T's Little Red Flying Hood, which is a steampunk take on Little Red Flying Hood. Set in Little sort Red of, Riding Hood. Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, they're the same thing. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> It's set in uh, World War One, and she's a flying ace in a biplane, so that's pretty cool. And then I put bundled that all together with the three other stories we've done. Uh, T's done uh, Aladdin and his Infernal Device, and I did uh, Mechanical Wings, which was uh, based on Hans Christian Andersen's Wild Swans. And then I did uh, the little Mecha- uh, the little Clockwork Mermaid, which is of course about the little mermaid. So those are all like novellas. They're like eleven, fifteen thousand words. So I put them all together and released them into the wild. That's very cool. Awesome. How about you, T? Well, uh, in between the bouts of recording an audiobook, uh, we, we did manage to get in uh, a, a little bit of sideline TV movie entertainment. Uh, we actually watched early Penny Dreadful, the, the premiere that's happening tonight on this recording, season three. Mm. They came out swinging. Uh, I mean, yeah. I might want to watch it again. Tonight, I, just I don't, playing. I don't want to give any spoilers out, but man, we love us some Penny Dreadful. I mean, <clears throat> um, Timothy Dalton is astounding in this, in this thing. Ava Green. Ava Green is awesome. And then you've got, you know, I, I, when I, when I heard that, um, 
I always Josh Hartnett. Josh Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett. When I heard Josh Hartnett was going to be in this show, I thought he's going to be the weak link in the chain. He is uh-huh. astounding. I don't know if you or any of your students have been watching Penny Dreadful, or any of your audience have been watching Penny Dreadful. But if you're not, you should be. This and I've heard that from a lot of people, and it's on our short list of catching up on this during the summer. I, I know people who actually picked up because of our recommendation. They picked up they picked up Showtime just to watch Penny Dreadful. And one one of our friends even said, I don't even like horror, but I love Penny Dreadful. Yeah, I'm not a huge horror fan myself, but, but the, I like, but to, I'm but a big me, fan of creepy. But this to me is good horror. It's not splatter. It's not splatter punk. It's not, it's not saw. It's not hostile. This is truly creepy. Get under your skin. The it's, best. It's very Victorian Gothic. Yeah. Um, and if you horror. were to, if you were to ask me who, who's the, who's the best of the bunch? I mean, this is an airtight cast. But the best of the bunch mm-hmm. has got to be Rory Kinnear, who plays Frankenstein's uh, monster. And, oh, wow. And he, is, he, he makes you cry. He makes you cry. He is an amazing actor, Rory Kinnear. So there's that. And then we watched, for some reason, Pip brought up this, uh, this sci-fi channel Because we've been excited about sci-fi yeah. getting back into sci-fi. Yeah. So we watched Hunters, this new show called Hunters. And mm-hmm. if I can describe it in a word, meh. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was all over the place. I didn't know what. And then, I, I also, when they have shaky cam and all it is is a bunch of guys sitting around talking, uh, talking around a conference <laughs> table. I'm like, why have we got shaky cam? We, <laughs> do, we do not need handheld cameras at a conference. OK, <laughs> it's not going to make the meeting scene any more exciting. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just a really bizarre it was about aliens, which I didn't. But they weren't seen. aliens, and then and then they did this featurette, this behind the scenes, and they talked to the author of of where this this hunter series came from, and I was like, oh, that's the guy that wrote Communion. Okay, you have lost me. And <laughs> it's it, yeah, it was it was a real hodgepodge no, we, of ideas we and concepts. There's We're not so gonna, much good, you know, no. creative stuff There's out there. So much there. good stuff out there. No. And then. Um, just it just by happenstance we we uh, we came across uh, Age of Ultron, and mm-hmm. I'm watching Age of Ultron. And I hope you don't mind this 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 little this little nerdy tangent, but I found out how much actually Avengers Age of Ultron shares with Batman versus Superman. Now, to your listeners who are now screaming at their at their, <laughs> MP, um, you can send all of your hate mail to t at tmorris dot com. But let me explain. <laughs> so yeah, I was watching and. I was watching Age of Ultron, and the moments where they where the studio let Whedon be Whedon, that's gold. They they, they shot. I mean those that that was gold. That was just pure gold right there. But Age of Ultron actually suffers the same problem that Batman versus Superman had. There were moments of Batman versus Superman that were absolutely airtight. That first hour of the movie I thought was was pretty solid, and then. They were like, okay, somebody, somebody went to, to Joss Whedon and said, we need to do this, 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 and this. And Whedon was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. And they're like, no, we need to do this, this. And it's the same thing with Batman versus Superman. It was trying to be, Batman versus Superman was trying to be at least four movies in yeah. one film. And you see that also in Age of Ultron. We need to set this up. We need to set this up. We need to set this up. And I'm, I'm watching certain scenes going, do we really need this? And and to me, uh, I, I I know I'm probably you know howling at the wind, uh, but <clears throat> but I think the the lessons you look you look at movies like Batman versus Superman and Age of Ultron, and you compare them to the original Avengers and to Deadpool, and when you let 
when you let your 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 directors and your writers be true to themselves and true to the original source material, I think you get better products. Because Deadpool has so far been the best film I think we've seen all <laughs> all, all year. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been and and the thing was that they got the material. And it was quite a simple story. It, was it wasn't very too complicated. No. They didn't like throw no. in fifteen villains. They didn't have to. They didn't have to try to outdo hey, Francis. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> great moment. Uh, superhero landing. That's really hard on the knees. I'm, I mean, there was such gold in and even in 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 the original Avengers. Yeah, in the original Avengers, they let Joss be Joss. Yeah. And I think if they had just simplified things in, in Batman versus Superman and in Age of Ultron, we we would have gotten incredible experiences as opposed to that was cool next. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 And unfortunately, I feel like DC doesn't have too many options as far as doesn't have too many more chances to to show their hand, you know, where I think if it's like, OK, that was cool for Marvel we'll still go to see the next movie. Oh, yeah. I think with DC, they don't have too many of those left to, to pull out of their hat. Suicide Squad? Yeah, mm-hmm. if, if, they don't, if they don't knock it out of the park with Suicide Squad... They might it, as well pack it up and go. Yeah. Although, I would still go and see the Wonder Woman movie because oh, yeah. Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gal Gadot was, was phenomenal as Diana. She was... Yeah, she was amazing. She was amazing, and I would, I'll give them a pass for that. But as far, but I mean, it's it's not voting well concerning the Flash director just walked off, and now Aquaman's director is kind of hemming and hawing. That's what I saw from IO9. So I don't know, I don't know. But uh, but yeah, they got they got to knock it out, of the, which is a sh- which is a shame because when it comes to television, they got the Flash, they got the Arrow, and they got Supergirl, and and they had Constantine. Mm-hmm. They had Constantine. They should have just stuck with that. <laughs> well, and they keep throwing around the possibility that it may come back as um, on the on the CW again. Please. You know, they're they're trying. They're trying very hard. The the you know they're they're explaining away, going, oh, those those crossovers were already planned. No, they so no, they it's not going. No, they weren't. <laughs> exactly. I'm scribbling that on the back yeah. of the napkin. Quick, quick, quick. <laughs> because someone finally took someone finally went to a CBS exec and said, "Sir, you might want to look at this." And they just handed them analytics, and the guy's like, "Really." Really? That many people want a Flash Supergirl crossover? Okay, I know what I said, but do it anyway. <laughs> and we'll look like geniuses. You know, I just numbers talk. Yeah, numbers talk. Yeah. DC needs to well, DC needs to do a lot more that they're not getting right. They're they're I won't go on my DC. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> another show. That's for definitely another show. It's like two hours. Exactly. <laughs> All right, moving along. Um, there's a little bit of news this week. Are you guys uh, Doctor Who fans? Oh yes. yeah, oh yeah. I have been since eight years old. Yeah. Well, I am. I am just now getting into it. From many people prodding me in different directions <laughs> to get started. So I'm still. I'm still on uh, the first rebooted series. Oh. So I'm. I'm. I'm catching up slowly. But this week they announced the new companion, mm-hmm. who will be Pearl Mackie playing Bill. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We, we saw uh, that. It's hard to tell. I mean, I saw the uh, the little teaser they they showed, which was a lot of shouting and Daleks and so running it's hard to and tell. running, honey. He's always Don't running. Ever... Cardio. Rule one of, of being a companion. <laughs> Cardio. <laughs> it didn't used to be that way back in the old days. <laughs> Because the Daleks ran so much slower yeah, back they then. Did. They didn't fly either. <laughs> they didn't fly. And they and stairs, once they got to stairs... They were screwed. That was it. Uh, they had to leave Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so that's you know, I, are you looking forward to this new companion? Um, um well, I'm gonna sit back. Yeah. This, this is a spot for her. I mean, I love I love Doctor Who from way back, but I have kind of fallen off the rails with, and I don't think it's Peter Capaldi's fault. No, it's not. I no, think the great. the writing on the last <laughs> season was not very good. And mm-hmm. um, and I think it. they didn't know what to do with with Clara, which is a shame because she was she was a charming uh, young lady, and she there could have been so many more things that they did with her. So, you know, a new companion is always a chance for a reboot, yeah. and maybe they'll pull it back. But she, Peter Capaldi is a great doctor. No, he's now he's terrific as a doctor, and he and he <clears> deserves <throat> better. Yeah, and uh, Pearl actually reminds me of a cross between Bill. I should say Bill reminds me as a cross between Martha. Mm-hmm. And Ace. Now Ace is reaching yeah, back way a back. Yeah, but Ace is uh, was uh, Sylvester McCoy's companion. Yeah, it's hard and to tell from a teaser what we're going to get. Yeah, we'll so have to wait and see. I'll, 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 I'll reserve judgment. Yeah. Well, I have about uh, maybe a year or so to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> so I will be a decade or so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this summer will be a lot of marathons yeah. of uh, of <laughs> Doctor Who. Also, this week. Uh, Fox announced that they are not going to be doing anything in Hall H at San Diego Comic-Con this year. Uh, do you guys go to San Diego Comic-Con? No. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been to New York Comic-Con, and that yeah. was crazy enough. Yeah. Um, also, San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. We actually talked about this when, when, we, when we found out, and, and it's something I've noticed for quite some time. Um, San Diego Comic-Con is being less and less about comics and mm-hmm. more about film. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. did do. They rolled out all that stuff. And part of the argument that 20th Century Fox had, if I remember the story correctly, is that they're they're tired of having these exclusive reveals being leaked out on on the net, which is um, you well, know you can't really expect that that and you're going to have any sort of yeah. security secrecy. You're not, People yeah. have these things called cell phones, smartphones, darling. Ah, and they're smarter. With they're phones sm- with yeah. cameras, cameras on them. Yeah. And and these. Uh, and you know, congratulations! Welcome to our world. We we actually came across a, a pirate site once that actually had the Ghost Rebellion <laughs> before we'd even before released we'd even, it. Before yeah. it even gone through the edits. edits. And, I, oh wow! It probably wasn't the Ghost Rebellion. Right. I presume it was uh, uh, so no, for, the Diamond for, Conspiracy. Yeah, and for and for 20th Century Fox to basically say, uh, yeah, we're pulling out, and people are going, ooh, what you know, what what are you doing? It's like you know what they're doing. What, they they understand like look you're gonna go to this movie whether you want to or whether we show up at San Diego Comic Con or not, mm-hmm. um you know so what are we you know why are we why are we shoveling all this stuff out you know and and I think I think uh, this is actually gonna be a good lesson for some of the other studios that appear at San Diego Comic Con they really do need to look at I mean yes they've got people lining up for hours and hours to maybe get in to a certain panel but um. But really, you know, what's the return on investment in going to San Diego Comic Con, flying all the flying all the cast members out there? Because I can tell you right now, unlike writers and comic book artists who go, oh yeah, you you know, I'll, I'll go on ahead and uh, I'll go on ahead and fly in on my own dime. I can tell you right now, Fillion and the cast of Firefly, no. they're not <laughs> on their own dime. They're no paid. Um, mm-hmm. All these, and they're they're not just getting compensated with with airfare. No, they're getting paid to be there. And, yeah, and and really, I I think right now the studios are going. Do we really need to do this much publicity? And I think they, they might even little thing called the internet where you yeah, can do that. We can do it all on our own. I mean, I mean, anything that 20th Century Fox did to promote Apocalypse was uh, X Men Apocalypse was was 
paled in comparison to when, quote unquote, in, in the words of Ryan Reynolds, somebody leaked that test footage mm-hmm. of Deadpool. And that was whoopsie. how yeah, whoopsie how that happened. Um, I, I just think I just think that that doing San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, it's a big deal. But I don't I, I don't think the ROI is there anymore. You're saying on that? No. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, again, I've been going for years. You know, I I have been going probably for about twenty years now, and I and I gunged in. (laughs) Well, I mean, again, I went when I was younger, and it was sixty dollars for the entire weekend. Well, okay. Yeah, and you'd go in, and you'd go up to the little kiosk. You'd get your passes for that year. You'd go up to the little kiosk. You'd order your passes for the following year, and you were done. And then you enjoyed the the rest of the weekend. Oh, and let me guess. To, if you had to stand in line for ten minutes, that was like, wow, this is a big deal. Yeah, and then you know there were those there were you know Hall H and and uh, and some of the bigger places. You would maybe have to get there a couple hours early. Okay. okay. Um, and you know, but that's you know that's that's understandable. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I still love going, and I still go try and go every year. We've got tickets for this year. Um, but it it really has it has changed so considerably that there's a lot of us who are okay with the bigger studios pulling out because it's not going to go away. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, and I'm, I'm, and if it yeah. means that it's easier for our new friends to get tickets or for us, I mean, last year I I had to scrounge and find you know a. Allegedly, maybe, sort of, have uh, friends switch passes out with one another so that everybody could get in at oh, some point. Because that's just, you know, it's and it's for us, it's not about the big studios. It's about this one time that we have dedicated as a group of friends every year to just hang out and be geeky for sure. a week. And, and, and that's what it should be. And, yeah. and I think that, but I'm, I remember when we did New York Comic Con. And and we were guests there. We 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 were guests uh, of Harper Voyager. And I remember when we walked in, I I didn't know where to look. And and just walking from one spot to our signing booth, I remember turning to Pip and saying, "I'm exhausted." <laughs> because there was just so much happening around us. It was astounding. Yeah, we can only imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I may have burnt my husband out on Comic Con the first time we went there. <laughs> I was going, all right, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to uh, do this, we're going to do this, and he's like, um, okay, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the hotel. I'm not a huge. I mean, I can take crowds for a little bit, and then I have to go and suck my thumb and sit in a hotel room <laughs> for an hour or two. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can take it. My head might implode. Well, but between Fox pulling out, and uh, I know Disney Marvel is not doing a lot of stuff there anymore, and they're trying to do these renovations that are running into all sorts of problems. I think I think the San Diego Comic Con in five years is going to be a lot different than the one from five years ago. So it'll it'll be interesting to watch that evolution uh, and change, and and hopefully it will be for the better. Um, but you know. We we do have to remember that it kind of got everything started, and now you can go to a comic convention almost every weekend, depending <laughs> on where you uh, live. And they're smaller and they're more intimate, and you can get your geek fix that way too. So, all right. And the last little news item we have is that uh, it is official: there will be a Punisher spinoff mm-hmm. Netflix series. 
<laughs> have you been watching uh oh seasons? we've been watching dead we didn't mention daredevil no we didn't because we were saving it for this so <laughs> so i am about an episode and a half away from finishing oh. uh about two or three yeah, and right there you foofa the punishes the punishes storyline i think is the best bit of season it two. is it is mm-hmm. i mean i i think the the stuff with electra has been okay it's been okay but John Barenthal has just blown my mind. You know, one batch, two batch, penny and dime. I mean, it's like, whoa. I mean, because T was a big uh, Thomas I still Jane. Am, and I still am a big yes. fan of Thomas Jane. I think the Punisher that Thomas Jane did um, different. was different. Diff- obviously, it was different. And then he did a short film called Dirty Laundry, which is the Punisher that we wanted to it's have. It's the Punisher, wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, it's the Punisher, but it's not the Punisher. Um, but it was, I mean, I mean, I think that that movie was very underrated and it didn't do well because people, was, they were expecting it to be a he- superhero movie. And I'm like, no, the Punisher is not a superhero. He is a badass, but he's not a superhero. Um, he's but an anti-hero. He's, yeah. And, um, and what John Bear. There's a when when there was a there was this particular scene in mind um, where where uh, Punisher and Daredevil are in the cemetery together and they're having a heart to heart in the cemetery. And I I'm, I'm listening to the scene and I'm just like, I just saw this man take out like three people with a pencil and I feel so bad for him. And then and I, I, I was like, this is going to be considered Daredevil's finest moment. Then you jump ahead to this one episode called 380. And um, it's it's the Punisher having a conversation with um, uh, oh not Claire Claire's the nurse um, it's the part it's the part uh, that Deborah Ann Wool plays and I'm blanking on the, the character's name Karen Karen Karen, Karen. Karen has a conversation a heart to heart with the Punisher and it's it's just gut wrenching I mean I I thought Barenthal was very good in the first season The Walking Dead um, mm-hmm. but this this was he he stepped up. This, but he's gonna. This, I this think he'll amazing. be good to carry a, a whole series. I hopefully not. Provided a lo- the writing's there. Probably not Provided a long series. Thing. I feel like the Punisher would be better in a short, powerful, violent series. And then you mean like like it. Agent Carter, like eight episodes? Yeah, and yeah, maybe. Yeah, eight, yeah, you know, ten maybe. I don't know. Not not like twenty two. No, no. That, that'd be, <laughs> that would be, be too much Punisher. That'd be too much punishment. Well, I'm I'm a big proponent of of doing more of the. British version of of a season, you know, do the series, and if you have to, yeah, if you have to tell the story in five episodes, do it in five. If you have to do it in twelve, do it in twelve. But don't, you know, I understand why it happens that way in America, but for me, it's kind of like we end up with a lot of wasted episodes that we really didn't need because, or or really slow build because you had to fill it up with something. And so, yeah, I'm I'm perfectly happy with you know, do a mini series, not a full series, and Unless you have the content to to really fill it, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I've been enjoying it. Like I said, I've been about two or three episodes away from the end. Um, I, I decided to go solo on this one because my husband was like, "I'm not going to be able to do the violence," and I'm like, "Yeah, I understand. I'm not even going to subject you to well, it." He'll be out of the Punisher series then. Yeah, yeah. Dare, oh yeah, no, that, that'll be on the round. Even, the, ti- even the title. I'm I'm just going to call it now. I think even the title sequence is going to be bloody and messy. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, it's going to be yeah. Well, there you go. So that's what's been happening in the news. Uh, I'm going to take a real quick uh, second to talk about some of the stuff that's coming up for Geekitude. Uh, 
this week we are going to be doing our special Mother's Day episode. Kareen Obskarian, who writes for Real Geek Girls and Real Geek Moms, uh, those columns on the screen invasion, uh, she's going to be on the show. We're going to talk about how awesome geek moms are because I think sometimes the dads get most of the geek cred in the relationship. And so we're going to celebrate geek moms. Uh, the entries, we were looking for people to send in letters I don't know that anybody has sent in a letter yet, which is very sad. I don't think people like to write. Um, as an English teacher, I know people don't like to write. <laughs> but um, but if there's a special uh, geek mom in your life, we're going to extend the deadline until Tuesday the 3rd. So go ahead and, and this is your last chance. You know, Celebrate the geek mom in your life, whether it's your mom or your wife or... Uh, a friend, somebody that you know, just tell them, tell us a little bit about them and how wonderful they are. Uh, if we don't get any letters, it's okay because she's got lots of stories that we can talk about. Um, but it would be cool to have that that personal touch. So get your Mother's Day episode letters in. I got a, I got a great nerdy story about my mom. Well, you should write I'm it down. Write it down. It I'm going to write it down. Yes, please do. That would be I'm awesome because <laughs> then we can have we can have at least one letter, oh, yeah. and then I'll feel like I've done my job. <laughs> <laughs> And then the other thing going on is that the the Mother's Day episode is going to release the day before Mother's Day, and the reason why we're doing it this week before the weekend, like I normally record, is because all day on Saturday, um, May 7th, I'm going to be at the Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore in San Diego, and I'm going to be talking to, I think, about 13 different authors. They're all going to be at the Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore for their birthday bash, and so you will be able to see me on Periscope probably from 9.30 in the morning till 4.30 in the evening. I am going to stop probably for a five-minute power bar food break and maybe a bathroom break or two. But I am planning on Periscoping the entire day. Um, I will be releasing the schedule of who I'm interviewing and when sometime this week. So keep an eye out on Twitter for that. But... Uh, if you are interested in any of the authors that we're going to have, then um, hop onto Periscope and ask us questions because I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a lot of my regular Geekitude questions uh, and get what's going on with them and what they're working on. But if you have a, a question that you really want to ask these authors, hop onto Periscope and uh, and we'll try and get those asked for you so that we can uh, get you involved in the process as well. So that's coming up on. Saturday, May 7th, the day before Mother's Day. So check it out. All right. So now uh, we're going to get to the meat and potatoes of our show. Um, you two are on here to introduce me to steampunk because I th this is an area where my geekitude is very, very low. And I'll be honest, I have really very little idea on where to start or what to do to start getting into it. Mm -hmm. Okay. We've got this great series that we can introduce you to called <laughs> The Menace of <laughs> Nice plug. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I believe it has already been downloaded on my Kindle. There you go. But again, uh, I'm going to have to wait until term papers and all of that are done so that I can actually sit down and read it. Okay. Well, then why don't you, why don't you go ahead and give them the, the, oh, the, the cliff notes? The, the cliff notes. So, uh, Steampunk, if we want to start out from the ground, is generally uh, science fiction, uh, sub section of science fiction in which the technology of the day has been kept to steam-powered gadgets. But it has branched off into, uh, you get some magical steampunk with um, 
werewolves and vampires in it, like Gail Carragher's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have steampunk that isn't even set in this world. It could be on another world. There is a That's girl genius. Yes, uh, girl clockwork genius. planets, all sorts of things like mm-hmm. that. Um, our particular brand of steampunk is set in Victorian England, uh, which is a very popular area for steampunk to be set. Or well, it can it's... also be set in the wild, wild west yeah. of America. That's also very popular. Um, as it's developed as a literary genre, you see more people going into different parts of the world. You see um, steampunk set in uh, in uh, China, Japan, India. I mean, any anywhere where there is a culture, you can see what happens if you add steam-powered technology to it. So um, it, it, it can be gothic and terrifying. It can be uh, our series is more rambunctious and fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a fun genre to write in. What would you like to add to Mars? Like, well, you going to, <laughs> no, I was, I was going to say that, that when, when people think of steampunk, um, they usually start thinking about the makers, people who, who make these incredible machinations and they're all, they're all supposed to be steam powered and they're like, okay, if this was an iPad, this is what it would look like. If it was in, uh, it was built steampunk, in steampunk-powered uh, arms like you, Thomas Williford. Like Thomas Williford, you've got uh, you, there was a, 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 a very talented maker named Datamancer. He did computed full computers, PCs and Macs, all done up looking like what they would be if they were on, say, the Nautilus. Or, if you or see something. brass and polished wood, um, piping, piping, a lot of piping. Yeah, it's a lot of copper. Yeah, and and so. You know, people, when, when you go to steampunk uh, events, a lot of times you see people emphasizing the fashion. Mm-hmm. You see people emphasizing the making. You see people emphasizing the music. But what some people tend to forget about steampunk is that started it actually... started with the literary Yeah, it started fiction. with writing. It started with writing. Now, H.G. Wells and Jules Verne have kind of been... Grandf- Mary Shelley have all been grandfathered in, or in the case of Mary Shelley, grandmothered in. Um, grandpersoned in. Yeah, grandpersoned in. Um, um, but it all really started with a snarky letter from K.W. Jeter. And uh, he basically described what he and Michael Moorcock were writing at that time. Um, yeah, it was like, if it's not cyberpunk, what is it? Well, it's steampunk. Because it's set in steam-powered <laughs> technology. And so, yeah, so he is the father of the term steampunk. Yeah, yeah but and, but it was he and Michael Moorcock, and there was one other uh, author, uh, Tim Powers. Tim Powers, yes. Uh, they, they were all writing this, this uh, Victorian-inspired science fiction. And that's where steampunk gets its, uh, gets its legs from. And from there, it, it really has evolved, and it and it's it's been, it like like we said earlier, it hasn't had that breakthrough hit, but it's always been in the background. And the convent, I mean, there's some wonderful conventions that uh, we are going to one this month, uh, the Steampunk World's Fair, which right. is in Piscataway, New Jersey. Uh, there's um, Steampunk Unlimited, which we also go to, which is actually at a Heritage Railway. Uh, site in Strasbourg, Pennsylvania, where you will see steam trains in action and people dressed up in Victorian in steampunk gear. Steampunk, we, yeah, we actually saw the last, the, in fact, this previous year, we uh, at Steampunk World's Fair, we actually saw a team of steampunk Ghostbusters, and that's the oh, other. That's awesome. Yeah, oh, it was incredible. They had the whole light up packs and everything, and and that's the other thing too with with steampunk. What people tend to do is they you'll see a lot of mashups, a lot of really clever mashups mm-hmm. in steampunk. We've 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 been uh, we, we've steampunk actually, superheroes are very we've, popular. We've seen steampunk superheroes. We've seen steampunk Star Wars. We've seen 
we've seen the steampunk Ghostbusters, and, and you know, it's really been it's really been amazing watching what people do with it, uh, do with do with the genre, and um, it's packed full of creativity. It really is. Mm. It's really packed with creative people. Well, I think that's definitely has been my first exposure to it was going to conventions and seeing people dressed up as uh, steampunk versions of. Uh, you know their favorite comic book characters. My one of my favorites is I saw a um, a Scooby Doo steampunk cosplay. Uh, I'm a huge Scooby Doo fan, so that was really cool. But I remember you know hanging out with my friends at San Diego Comic Con one year, and one of my friends goes, "Okay, explain steampunk." To me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. And and somebody else is like, it's really cool, but I don't know much about it. And and I think that. It's one of those things where if you haven't had an access point, um, there's really no, as you said, there's no flagship to to necessarily pull you in. Well, and the, the but the funny thing is that sometimes people don't realize they have seen steampunk, and then they go, "Oh wait, that's steampunk." We were trying oh. to explaining steampunk to your dad. Yeah, and we and the reason why we were trying to explain steampunk to my dad was we had just picked up something called the Steampunk Bible. Uh, it's put together by S.V. Chambers and Jeff Vandermeer. It's and a good primer for it's a, getting into steampunk. It's a terrific interested. primer. And uh, and he was flipping through it. My dad was flipping through it. And he happened to come across a page where they were talking about the TV show, The Wild Wild West, with, uh, with Robert Conrad and Ross Martin. And he looked at this, and he was like, wait a minute. You mean The Wild Wild West is steampunk? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, yeah, Dad. That's considered, that's considered one of the first big media properties. And he was like, I get it. Yeah, I know what's deep. I'm so happy. That well, the other one, uh, you often, because we are, people really often ask us this question. And so we, we either go with the Wild Wild West or we say, have you seen 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? Which we said earlier. And yeah. uh, you, they're like, yes, then that is a nice little encapsulated right. idea of steampunk. Um, so it's just finding that touchstone that you can yeah. access for people. And there's, and uh, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The, the hardest part about trying to explain steampunk to people is is finding those those bits of visual media that make sense and it doesn't seem overwhelming like castle is very steampunk friendly you know if you don't know anything about steampunk you watch that castle episode called punked then you you get it um there was a there's a movie that i'm i'm attached to and i think it was also my gateway into doing steampunk but this is way before the ter- term was even coined there's a wonderful movie with Malcolm McDowell and David Warner called Time After Time. And in this movie, H.G. Uh, Wells chases Jack the Ripper into modern-day... 1970-something. 1970-something. Modern-day San Francisco. I saw this as a kid and just lost my mind. And the, the premise was that, yes, H.G. Uh, Wells actually built the time machine. And it turned out his best friend was Jack the Ripper. So you've got that. I mean, there's there, there are all these little moments where you see where you see steampunk before people knew what it was. And now the, to, 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 to say it's Victorian science fiction, that's a great way to introduce people to it. But it's a bit more than that. It's, it's way more than yeah. that. You can, use, you can use steampunk to, um, to highlight uh, colonialism and the, the, the more, more of the cons and less the pros about colonialism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can address issues of how women were, were treated back in the day. And in in a steampunk society where where technology is a little more forward thinking, maybe women have a more 
uh, prominent role in society. You know, we have that with Eliza Braun when, when you know, she's being one of the top agents of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. But the other thing that we tend to do, at least with our steampunk, is we try to go in deeper into, okay, if people have access to this technology, what are they going to do with it? Um, there's, a, there's a friend of ours who had this, well, this wonderful video. You can find it on YouTube. <laughs> it's called Just Google Gears on it and call it Steampunk. And sadly, this is what we see in a lot of other other steampunk fiction. We see it where people just slap gears on it and they go, "Look, it's a steampunk we'll put novel." Put goggles on it, or they put goggles on it. They go, Look, it's a steampunk novel. <laughs> you know, I mean, we—that's been something else we've been we've been called on that for before too. People say, "I still don't get the use of the goggles." You know, well, and, they're either in Antarctica with their eyes being frozen shut for the neopro goggles, or they're flying, or they're yeah. driving. You know, I mean, there are uses for goggles. We actually <laughs> use goggles properly in our books, and we're proud of that fact. Um, it's also a good way. I mean, we have a lot of history and stuff put in our – history and stuff. That sounds really professional. History stuff <laughs> uh, in our books. Like uh, in the second book, The Janus Affair, I'm particularly proud of the fact yeah. that we have quite a bit of New Zealand history in there. Uh, one of the main characters is uh, Kate Shepard, who was uh, – New Zealand's preeminent suffragette uh, in the 1800s, and she gets the steampunk treatment, but she's still essentially herself in the book. And you know that the way you can look at history and examine it uh, in sort of different lenses is what I really like about steampunk. And the other thing I enjoy, about, the thing I enjoy about steampunk is you get to play with history, and you get to ask yourself things like, okay, if technology is at this level then what would the inventors or what would the technology of the day be really focused on? Um, good example is in Dawn's Early Light. Um, we got this idea for Dawn's Early Light walking through uh, the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And, uh, you know, and, I, and I was like, okay, so we have airships and we have ornithopters. And we, so, so, so man-powered flight is not necessarily this unobtainable thing. We've actually figured it out. So what would the Wright brothers be working on at Kitty Hawk? So we had this, this Canadian cross, this wonderful cameo of the Wright brothers, and they were working on rockets. They were going to the moon. And it made perfect sense because, yes, rocketry really didn't become rocketry until Goddard got his hands onto it in the you know, early decade or early 20s. But, um, but if you've already got man-powered flight, advanced things a few decades – and that's what Wilbur and Norval were working on. And that type of freedom to be able to to, to get 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 uh, wacky with okay, what would what would the great inventors like Edison and Tesla what would they be doing? Um, we had a lot of fun playing around with that. A lot of fun. So- it sounds like a lot of fun. And I know that um, one of my favorite things about um, the literature that I try and consume is that kind of alternative uh, uh, look at. Um, at history or at literature or at stories that we're so familiar with that can be kind of changed and, and looked at from a different perspective or just completely re mixed up together, um, you know, from with, with other things. So I think that's really excited. I do have to take a quick second and mention that you, you use the term Canadian cross, which makes me very happy because <laughs> any of my improv students that are, are listening We'll go, oh, wow, it's actually a term and not something that Mr. Hogan made. <laughs> <laughs> so that makes me very, very happy. Um, in, in steampunk, is, because it's a, a subgenre of science fiction, is there a differentiation like there is in regular science fiction of 
um, hard science fiction versus soft science fiction, or because these are kind of fantastical inventions to begin with, it's all kind of considered soft science fiction. Because I know you were talking about the, the, the proper use of goggles. So is it something that there is, you know, steampunk where, okay, we're just going to do whatever and, and it's being explained by quote unquote science or is there a, a you know, um, a focus in some parts of steampunk that it should be as realistic as possible in then this fantastical world. I think it's um, in steampunk terms, it's more like divided between those people who are ha- trying to have fun and those people who are trying to make a point, have some sort of uh, like society. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Gibson the, and Sterling with the difference engine. Yeah, yeah, there was there's some dark uh, steampunk which goes you know into uh, the horrors of the Industrial Revolution and all of that sort of stuff. And then there's the other side where they're just like, hey, let's fly airships and swing from them and maybe have a flying car, which would be us. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, the, as far as having a, a hard, you know, if you've got a mechanical planet, it's hard to explain how that goes. Um, so, well, I mean, I, I, it tends towards more fantastical. Yeah, but I, I like trying to, I like trying to hypothesize. I like trying to, 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 to make it hard science, hard science fiction, even though I know for a fact uh, that, that, no, this would never work. But, um, but like one of the things that I know that, that we did was we had, we had this fantastic analytical engine built uh, in the, in the bottom of the archives for, um, um, for, for the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. And I said, well, that would take a – for what we're having it do, it would have to take a lot of steam power. So where would the water come from? And then I was like, oh, the Thames. So we actually had this – we had the archives in the basement, and we, we have them working with, with this massive – you know, this, this massive Thames that was powering helping, – helping to power the, uh, the, the ministry's archives. And then when when I when in in the third book we we actually made a portable version of the archives, uh, I had it instead of it having it the the, the, the uh, boiler the, the, we had the, these little mini boilers and Wellington had to look at the boilers and just after a few commands he looked at the boilers and they were all full little tiny little five boilers and after this one command three of them were already down so he knew he was using a lot of boiler power as opposed to battery power it was boiler power. <laughs> Did it have- Mm-hmm. Digital. No, it didn't, have no it didn't have that, but he could look at the levels of the boilers and go, oh, yes, uh, boiler three is already empty. Oh, so, you know, those type of touches we try and, and then there's certain touches. And I'm, I'm turning to Pip on this one. Uh, Detroit. The oh. way Detroit was lit. Oh, yes. By now, the people line. thought we meet, we made this up, <laughs> but I'm going to turn it over to Pip for this one. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the fun bit about doing steampunk is digging up the history and finding out these little facts that. People have forgotten about um, mostly like uh, in Detroit, they had these giant tripod things called moonlight towers that were designed to illuminate the whole city. They were early beginning of uh, street lighting and uh, we had them in uh, dawn's early light and people kind of thought we'd made that bit up. (laughs) And we were like, no, no, these were giant arc light towers that were stationed throughout Detroit. And, And what a lot of people didn't know about Detroit because when you say Detroit, you're like, oh, Detroit. But mm-hmm. Detroit back in back in the time that it's we called the Paris of the West. Paris of the West. I mean, it was the place to be, and we, you know, st- finding stuff like that was just was just gold. So we we try and yeah insert some 
relevant, useful information yeah. we, we, about we, the bus. Yeah, we try to do that. And we also try to get people to guess. They go, okay, did you make that up or is that the real thing? <laughs> and it's always fun to see when people go, are right, you made that up? No, that's a real thing. And they go, this is a real thing. No, we made that up. <laughs> but I don't think the distinction between the hard, you know, hard steampunk and like no, steampunk. I, I think it's I think it's mood. It's I think mood. there's a mood it's thing mood. going on. With are you doing punk. adventure steampunk? Or are you doing uh, social commentary steampunk? Yeah. You know. Gotcha. Cool. Well, the the last thing I want to talk about, we touched upon it a little bit, but I'm I'm curious as to whether or not you participate. I think I know the answer to to this question. Because of uh, your your avatar pictures on your Twitter accounts, <laughs> but um, do you do the cosplay steampunk? Yes, we do. <laughs> we, oh, well, we we just got back actually from a romance writers convention, and there was some steampunks there. But we were doing six hundred authors in one big room doing a signing, and uh, T was wearing uh, a creation by uh, Thomas Williford of Brute Force. Uh, a steampunk arm, and that seemed to uh, really get a that lot of attention. That turns some heads. That turns So head. either we do it in out of the steampunk genre, in which case it certainly gets attention, or we do it to be part of the community, like uh, when we go to Steampunk Unlimited or Steampunk World's Fair. Um, you want to be in there with your readers and and fans. So and we enjoy doing it. We've got some, you know, and also it's great to buy stuff at these events. You know? Oh, it's amazing to buy stuff at these events. Yeah, and and um, you know, it's it's funny when you hear people say, well, you know, you you know, authors shouldn't cosplay as their characters. We are not alone. We we actually see we actually saw Liana Renee Heber, another wonderful uh, Victorian gas gas like fantasy and steampunk author. She's she's written for us in the past. She was dressed as one of her characters, and she looked she looked lovely. She's also an actress, so she's she's used to this kind of stuff, and she's a costumer, so she's done this stuff. Now we don't we we don't we, cosplay our characters. We don't we, we no, but we do cosplay sometimes agents of our characters, or most of the time as journalists of our characters. Yeah, we, we call ourselves the journalists. The journalists. Um, but the but but we ourselves do not have the time. We've been we we actually bought a couple of Nerf guns. We we're going to mod them up. Never have the time. No, they're still never have the time. Yeah. So when 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 it comes to steampunk making, we make words. We make words and podcasts. That's our making. Uh, the stuff that we get um, is from is from other vendors. And I think as, as Liana says, we're patrons. We're patrons. Yes, we're mm -hmm. patrons of punk. That's very cool. Well, thank you so much for, for introducing um, me and my listeners to Steampunk because, I, like I said, it's something that friends of mine and, and myself have, have seen from afar and just not really had an, an entry point into it. And so I think uh, now definitely going to check out your, your series. It, it sounds phenomenal. Thank you. And, uh, and I, I will feel a little bit more comfortable being able to go up to people at conventions and, and converse a little bit with them about what, what they're doing. Because, um, again, everybody's geekitude is different. And, uh, you know, once you have that entryway, it's, it's good to be able to share your geekitude with others and, and get some information from them. All right. Any shout outs for people this week? Well, I think we've already I, I've already shouted out to Thomas Williford of Brute Force. He has uh, designed arms for us. He he lined the uh, lined up his house and his girlfriend for our second book trailer, second The book Janus trailer. Affair. Yeah. Um, he's a big old geek. And we we love we love how he does works with leather. He has his own laser. He's a so, modern day mad scientist. He, he really is. So if you, if you need any steampunkery stuff, he he's the place to go. And um, our friend Suna Darcy, who runs Steampunk India on Facebook, yeah, 
and uh, she is our consultant for getting India right in uh, the Ghost Rebellion. Yeah. Um, we've already shouted out to Steampunk World's Fair. That's happening May 13th through the 15th. We will be there. Piscataway, New Jersey. Piscataway, New Jersey. Edison's area. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and so if you're, if you're in the area, by all means, come by, say hi. Uh, the other one, the the other event that we have coming up though, that we haven't mentioned yet is Motor City Steam Con, and that's uh, in Detroit, Michigan, and that's from July 22nd to the 24th. We're going to be appearing there. We're looking forward to that event. It's going to be Henry a lot Ford's of fun. Henry Ford's area. Henry Ford's area. <laughs> yes, many many other things. So, um, you, and you can always, uh, you mentioned, or rather, we mentioned earlier, uh, the shared desk. Uh, you can always keep up with us at thesharedesk.com. That's a podcast we do. Every two weeks, uh, more or less, and um, and we talk about writerly stuff, but we also nerd out about geeky stuff. In fact, we just started a brand new segment called the Loot Crate Looky Loo because uh, nice. just just a couple months ago we started doing Loot Crate, and if you're not doing Loot Crate, you really should. It's it's hella fun, hella fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. I, I think if I I had week monthly boxes of geek stuff coming into my house. My husband would disown me. <laughs> well, very cool. I want to give a shout out to Mary Elizabeth from Mysterious Galaxy for um, she was our guest last week, and uh, we're going to be at her event this coming weekend. I'm very excited, and she's been really great about connecting me with some amazing authors that we're going to be talking about and talking with on Saturday. So, looking forward to that. And I also want to give a shout out to Katie from. Um, the WEC podcast, who is the one who originally put me in touch with the two of you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. Um, Thanks, Katie. Yeah, so she was like, you absolutely have to talk to them and get them on if you want to learn about steampunk. So thank you, Katie, because this has been a lot of fun. Great. Thanks, Katie. As, <laughs> as we've mentioned, uh, next week I'll be talking to Karina Obskarian, uh from Screen Invasion about our geek moms. Get your letters in. Hopefully T will get us a letter at the very least. We will. I will. I will. I'll do it right now. <laughs> uh, don't forget to check us out on Periscope all day on Saturday the 7th. Uh, all the music in this episode is by Ben Sound and is being used under a Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. You can currently find me at geektitude.com as well as iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave us a review and spread the word. Uh, if you would like to contact me, you can send me an email at joehogan at geektitude.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at geektitude or me personally at Epic Grays. <laughs> <laughs> and how can we find you? Um, you mentioned a couple of things, but are there any other places we should be looking for oh, you? Well, you can go to ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com, pjballantine.com, tmorris.com, and we're everywhere else, like Twitter, Facebook, you know, Tumblr, Pinterest. There's nothing we're not really on. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. Thank you guys so much for being guests. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, for all of you listening out there, remember this week, keep it geek. 